chapter ten of william lloyd garrison the abolitionist by archibald grimke this librivox recording is in the public domain between the acts mr garrison in a private letter to a friend under date of september twelfth eighteen thirty four summarizes the doings of the preceding twelve months of his life and makes mention of a fact which lends peculiar interest to that time it has been the most eventful year he remarks in my history i have been the occasion of many uproars and a continual disturber of the public peace as soon as i landed i turned the city of new york upside down five thousand people turned out to see me tarred and feathered but were disappointed there was also a small hubbub in boston on my arrival the excitement passed away but invective and calumny still followed me by dint of some industry and much persuasion i succeeded in inducing the abolitionists in new york to join our little band in boston in calling a national convention at philadelphia we met and such a body of men for zeal firmness integrity benevolence and moral greatness the world has rarely seen in a single assembly inscribed upon a declaration which it was my exalted privilege to write their names can perish only with the knowledge of the history of our times a national anti-slavery society was formed which astonished the country by its novelty and awed it by its boldness in five months its first annual meeting was held in the identical city in which only seven antecedent months abolitionists were in peril of their lives inability interest and solemnity it took precedence of all the great religious celebrations which took place at the same time during the same month a new england anti-slavery convention was held in boston and so judicious were its measures so eloquent its appeals so unequivocal its resolutions that it at once gave shape and character to the anti-slavery cause in this section of the union in the midst of all these mighty movements i have wooed a fair lady and won her have thrown aside celibacy and jumped body and soul into matrimony have sunk the character of bachelor in that of husband have settled down into domestic quietude and repudiated all my roving desires and have found that which i have long been yearning to find a home a wife and a beautiful retreat from a turbulent city garrison does not exaggerate the importance of the initiatives and achievements of the year or the part played by him in its history his activity was indeed phenomenal and the service rendered by him to the reform was unrivalled he was in incessant motion originating directing inspiring the agitation in all portions of the north what strikes one strongly in studying the pioneer is his sleeplessness his indefatigableness his persistency in pursuit of his object others may rest after a labor may have done one two or three distinct tasks but between garrison's acts there is no hiatus each follows each and is joined to all like links in a chain he never closed his eyes nor folded his arms but went forward from work to work with the consecutiveness of a law of nature but amid labors so strenuous and uninterrupted the leader found opportunity to woo and win a fair lady she was a daughter of a veteran abolitionist george benson of brooklyn connecticut who with his sons george w 
and henry e benson were among the stanchest of the reformers followers and supporters the young wife before her marriage was not less devoted to the cause than they she was in closest sympathy with her husband's anti-slavery interests and purposes never had husband found wife better fitted to his needs and the needs of his life work so that it might be truly said that garrison even when he went a-wooing forgot not his cause and that when he took a wife he made at the same time a grand contribution to its ultimate triumph how did helen eliza garrison serve the great cause one who knew shall tell he is told it in his own unequalled way that home he says was a great help her husband's word and pen scattered his purpose far and wide but the comrades that his ideas brought to his side her welcome melted into friends no matter how various and discordant they were in many things no matter how much there was to bear and overlook her patience and her thanks for their sympathy in the great idea were always sufficient for the work also in that group of remarkable men and women which the anti-slavery movement drew together she had her own niche which no one else could have filled so perfectly or unconsciously as she did she forgot omitted nothing how much we all owe her these were words spoken by a friend whose name will appear later on in this story words spoken by him at the close of her beautiful life as she lay dead in her coffin and here is another account of her written by the husband on the first anniversary of their marriage i did not marry her he confides to her brother george expecting that she would assume a prominent station in the anti-slavery cause but for domestic quietude and happiness so completely absorbed am i in that cause that it was undoubtedly wise in me to select as a partner one who while her benevolent feelings were in union with mine was less immediately and entirely connected with it i knew she was naturally diffident and distrustful of her own ability to do all that her heart might prompt she is one of those who prefer to toil unseen to give by stealth and to sacrifice in seclusion by her unwearied attention to my wants her sympathetic regards her perfect equanimity of mind and her sweet and endearing manners she is no trifling support to abolitionism inasmuch as she lightens my labours and enables me to find exquisite delight in the family circle as an offset to public adversity and here is a lovely bit of self-revelation made to her betrothed several months before they were wedded i am aware of the responsibility that will devolve upon me she writes and how much my example will be copied among that class you have so long laboured to elevate and enlighten i have been considering how the coloured people think of dress and how much of their profits are expended for useless ornaments that foolishly tend to make a show and parade as much stress will of course be laid on garrison's wife by that class it behooves me to be very circumspect in all things when called upon to fill so important a station the marriage occurred september fourth eighteen thirty four and the next day the pair set up housekeeping in freedom's cottage on bower street roxbury the young housekeepers were rich in every good thing except money and of that commodity there was precious little that found its way into the family till and money was indispensable even to a philanthropist who cared as little for it as did garrison he had never in his twenty-eight years experienced the sensation which a bank account however small gives its possessor he had been toiling during the last three years in a state of chronic self-forgetfulness and of consequence in a state of chronic impecuniosity he had never been careful of what he got was careful only of what he gave for himself he was ready to subsist on bread and water 
and to labor more than fourteen hours at the case to make the issue of the liberator possible but surely he could not put a fair lady on such limited commons even for the sake of his cause the laborer is worthy of his hire and an unworldly-minded reformer ought to be supplied with the wherewithal needful to feed clothe and house himself and those dependent upon him some such thought shaped itself in garrison's mind as his circumstances grew more and more straitened and his future as the head of a family looked more and more ominous anxiety for the morrow pressed heavily upon him as his responsibilities as a breadwinner hugged closer and closer his everyday life poverty ceased to be the ordinary enemy of former years whom he from the lookouts of the unconquerable mind used to laugh to scorn it had become instead a cruel foe who worried as by fire the peace of his soul there was the liberator the liberator as a moral engine was a marvellous success but the liberator as a money-maker was a most dismal failure if its owners had possessed only common aptitude for business the failure need not have been so complete indeed the enterprise might have been crowned with a moderate degree of success but never were two men more entirely lacking in the methods which should enter into ventures of that character than were garrison and knapp garrison was unfortunate in this respect but it seems that knapp was more so neither took to book-keeping and neither overcame his serious deficiency in this regard the consequence was that the books kept themselves and confusion grew upon confusion until the partners were quite confounded garrison naively confesses this fault of the firm to his brother-in-law thus brother knapp you know resembles me very closely in his habits of procrastination indeed i think he is rather worse than i am in this respect the paper was issued originally without a single subscriber at the end of the first volume the subscription list numbered five hundred names in the course of the next two volumes this number was more than doubled almost tripled in fact the subscription price was two dollars the property would have begun from this point to make returns to its owners had they possessed the business training and instinct requisite to its successful management but they were reformers not money-getters and instead of enjoying the profits they proceeded to use them up incontinently in their first enlargement of the paper but while they had added to the cost of publication they took no thought to augment the cost of subscription the publishers gave more and the subscribers received more for the sum of two dollars the pecuniary embarrassments of the liberator increased and so the partners bondage to penury increased also this growing pressure was finally relieved by several generous donations made for the support of the paper at the beginning of the fourth volume the publishers wisely or other wisely again enlarged their darling and again neglected to raise the subscription rates at the same time misfortunes never come without company but a light in flocks an old flock of misfortunes it was to the liberator when joshua coffin that huge personification of good humor was appointed canvassing agent for the paper he was as wanting in business methods as his employers were confusion now gathered upon confusion around the devoted heads of the partners was accelerated and became daily more and more portentous and inextricable the delinquencies of subscribers grew more and more grave on the three first volumes they were two thousand dollars in arrears to the paper this was a large a disastrous loss but traceable to no inconsiderable extent doubtless to the loose business methods of the reformer and his partner the liberator at the beginning of its fourth year was struggling in a deep hole of financial helplessness and chaos would it ever get out alive or shall the liberator die 
burst in a cry of anguish almost despair from its editor so weak in thought of self so supreme in thought of others this carelessness of what appertained to the things which concerned self and devotion to the things which concerned his cause finds apt and pathetic illustration in this letter to samuel j may in the summer of eighteen thirty four when his pecuniary embarrassments and burdens were never harder to carry in reply to your favour of the twenty fourth july my partner joins with me in consenting to print an edition of miss crandall's defence as large as the one proposed by you at our own risk as to the profits that may arise from the sale of the pamphlet we do not expect to make any on the contrary we shall probably suffer some loss in consequence of the difficulty of disposing of any publication however interesting or valuable in itself but a trial so important as miss c's involving such momentous consequences to a large portion of our countrymen implicating so deeply the character of this great nation ought not to go unpublished and shall not while we have the necessary materials for printing it it is interesting to note that the weekly circulation of the liberator in the spring of eighteen thirty four was twenty three hundred copies and that this number was distributed in philadelphia four hundred in new york three hundred in boston two hundred in other parts of the free states eleven hundred and that of the remaining three hundred one half was sent as exchange with other papers and eighty of the other half were divided equally between england and haiti leaving seventy copies for gratuitous distribution the colored subscribers to the paper were to the whites as three to one there were several suggestions by sundry friends looking to the release of the liberator from its embarrassments and to the relief of its unselfish publishers but from the grinding poverty which its issue imposed upon them the most hopeful and feasible of them was the scheme of which garrison wrote his betrothed april fourteenth eighteen thirty four i am happy to say he pours into her ears that it is probable the managers of the new england anti-slavery society will determine to-morrow afternoon to take all the pecuniary liabilities of the liberator hereafter and give me a regular salary for editing it and friend knapp a fair price for printing it my salary would not be less than eight hundred dollars per annum and perhaps it will be fixed at a thousand dollars the new arrangement will go into effect on the first of july but alas the managers took no such action on the morrow nor went the new arrangement into effect at the time anticipated the editor was married in september and two months later the eagerly expected relief was still delayed this hope deferred must have caused the young husband meanwhile no little anxiety and heart-sickness love in a cottage is very pretty and romantic in novels but love in a cottage actually thriving on bread and water was a sweet reality in the home of the young couple in roxbury all the world loves a lover says emerson but alas there are exceptions to all rules and all the world loved not garrison in his newly found felicity as shall presently appear the pledge made by the reformer in the initial number of the liberator to be as harsh as truth had been kept to the letter to some minds there is nothing more difficult to understand and tolerate than is the use of harsh language toward individual wrongdoers they appear to be much more solicitous to turn away the wrath of the wicked than to do away with their wickedness multitudes of such minds were offended at the tremendous severities of garrison's speech they were for peace at any cost while garrison was for truth at any cost these pro-slavery critics were not necessarily wanting in good feelings to the slaves or lacking in a sense of the justice of their cause but the feelings and the sense were transitive to an abstract object intransitive to that terrible reality the american slave the indignation of such people exceeded all bounds 
when contemplating wrongs in the abstract iniquity in the abstract while the genuine article in flesh and blood and habited in broadcloth and respectability provoked no indignation provoked instead an unbounded charity for the willing victims of ancestral transgressions upon the southern slaveholder as a creature of circumstances these people expended all their sympathy while upon the southern slave who were to their view the circumstances they looked with increasing disapprobation garrison's harsh language greatly shocked this class excited their unbounded indignation against the reformer besides this class there was another composed of friends whom garrison's denunciatory style offended to charles follin and charles stewart and lewis tappan this characteristic of the writings of the great agitator was a sore trial to them and to others too his language seemed grossly intemperate and vituperative and was deemed productive of harm to the movement but gerson defended his harsh language by pointing to the state of the country on the subject of slavery before he began to use it and to the state of the country afterward how utterly and morally dead the nation was before how keenly and marvellously alive it became afterward the blast which he had blown had jarred upon the senses of his slumbering countrymen he admitted but he should not be blamed for that what to his critics sounded harsh and abusive was to him the trump of god for at the thunderpeal which the almighty blew from the mouth of his servant how as by a miracle the dead soul of the nation awoke to righteousness he does not arrogate to himself infallibility indeed he is sure that his language is not always happily chosen such errors however appear to him trivial in view of indisputable and extraordinary results produced by the liberator he believes in marrying masculine truths to masculine words he protests against his condemnation by comparison every writer's style is his own it may be smooth or rough plain or obscure simple or grand feeble or strong he contends but principles are immutable by his principles therefore he would be judged whittier for instance he continues is highly poetical exuberant and beautiful stuart is solemn pungent and severe wright is a thorough logician dexterous transparent straightforward beriah green is manly eloquent vigorous devotional may is persuasive zealous overflowing with the milk of human kindness cox is diffusive sanguine magnificent grand born thunders and lightens phelps is one great clear infallible argument demonstration itself jocelyn is full of heavenly mindedness and feels and speaks and acts with a zeal according to knowledge fallen is chaste profound and elaborately polished Goodell is perceptive analytical expert and solid child david l is generously indignant courageous and demonstrative his lady combines strength with beauty argumentation with persuasiveness greatness with humility bernie is collected courteous dispassionate his fearlessness excites admiration his conscientiousness commands respect of these writers which is acceptable to slaveholders or their apologists some have been cruelly treated and all been calumniated as fanatics disorganizers and madmen and why certainly not for the phraseology which they use but for the principles which they adopt from another quarter came presently notes of discord aroused by garrison's hard language sundry of the unitarian clergy under the lead of rev henry ware jr took it into their heads that the editor of the liberator and some others were outrageously abusing the abolition cause mismanaging it by their unreasonable violence of language wherefore those gentlemen interposed to rescue the great cause from harm by a brilliant scheme designed to secure moderation in this regard this brilliant scheme was nothing less absurd than the establishment of a censorship over the liberator but as these solicitous souls had reckoned without their host their amiable plan came to naught but not however before adding a new element to the universal discord 
then fast swelling to a roar to the storm of censure gathering about his head the reformer bowed not neither swerved he to the right hand nor to the left all the while deeming it with the apostle a small thing to be judged by man's judgment i solicit no man's praise he sternly replies to his critics i fear no man's censure there was still another cause of offence given by garrison to his countrymen it was not his hard language but a circumstance less tolerable if that was possible than even that rock of offence it seems that when the editor of the liberator was in england and dining with thomas fowl buxton he was asked by the latter in what way the english abolitionists could best assist the anti-slavery movement in america and he had replied by giving us george thompson this unexpected answer of the american appeared without doubt to the englishman at the time somewhat extraordinary he had his misgivings as to the wisdom to say nothing of the propriety of an international act of such importance and delicacy as the sending of george thompson to america he questioned whether the national self-love of the american people would not resent the arrival of an englishman on such a mission among them and refuse him a fair hearing in consequence but garrison was confident that while thompson's advent would stir up the pro-slavery bile of the north and all that he would not be put to much if any greater disadvantage as a foreigner in speaking in new england on the subject of slavery than were those abolitionists who were to the manner born as to his friend's personal safety in the east garrison was extremely optimistic had not apparently the slightest apprehensions for him in this regard well after due deliberation george thompson consented to undertake the mission to america and the english reformers to send him though not all of them for some there were like james cropper who were indisposed to promoting such a mission or paying agents to travel in the united states it was natural enough for mr garrison to prefer such a request after hearing george thompson speak for he was one of those electric speakers who do with popular audiences what they will in figure and voice and action he was a born orator his eloquence was graphic picturesque thrilling and over english audiences it was irresistible garrison fancied that such eloquence would prove equally attractive to and irresistible over american audiences as well but in this he was somewhat mistaken for thompson had to deal with an element in american audiences of which he had had no experience in england what that element was he had occasion to surmise directly he arrived upon these shores he reached new york just sixteen days after the marriage of his friend the editor of the liberator to be immediately threatened with mob violence by the metropolitan press in case he ventured to lecture in favour of immediate abolition and to be warned that if our people will not suffer our own citizens to tamper with the question of slavery it is not to be supposed that they will tolerate the officious intermeddling of a foreign fanatic then as if by way of giving him a taste of the beak and talons of the american armour proper he and his family were put out of the atlantic hotel in deference to the wish of an irate southerner thus introduced the english orator advanced speedily thereafter into closer acquaintance with the american public he lectured in many parts of new england where that new element of rowdyism and virulence of which his english audiences had given him no previous experience manifested its presence first in one way and then in others putting him again and again in jeopardy of life and limb at augusta maine his windows were broken and he was warned out of the town at concord new hampshire his speech was punctuated with missiles at lowell massachusetts he narrowly escaped being struck on the head and killed by a brickbat indeed it was grimly apparent that the master of freedom's cottage would be obliged to revise his views as to the hazard which his friend ran in speaking upon the subject of slavery in new england 
to do so was weakly becoming for that friend an enterprise of great personal peril but it added also to the fierce hatred with which the public now regarded garrison he was the author of all the mischief the slavery agitation the foreign emissary he had even dared to inject the poison of abolitionism into the politics of boston and massachusetts this attempt on the part of the liberator to establish an anti-slavery test of office was only another proof of the dangerous character of the new fanaticism and the jacobinical designs of the garrisonian fanatics ergo the importance of suppressing the incendiaries down with thompson garrison must be destroyed the union it must and shall be preserved all these the public excitement which had risen everywhere to a tempest had come more and more to mean a tremendous crisis had come in the life of garrison and a great peril eagle-like with the stirred-up hate of a nation was swooping upon him End of chapter ten